Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie Duporto Radio on AM 950. I am back. <laughs> How have you been? I am thrilled about being back here to talk to you for the next hour. Uh, to talk about idealism and idealists. Did you miss me? I was gone last weekend. I'm going to talk about that the, in, uh, later on the show. My, my huge, huge thanks to David Edgerton Jr. for guest hosting last week. He did a phenomenal job. I've listened to the show that he did. And uh, hopefully uh, he'll be able to fill in more when I'm unavailable in the future. So I, I like David a lot, and I like how he thinks, and I, I know that you do as well. For today's show, <clears throat> the big interview is with Tori Allen, the executive director of Arts Midwest. <clears throat> you will totally, totally enjoy Tori's idealism and energy, and he's going to make a big announcement on this show, on this show, this small little show, he's going to make a big announcement. The very first time he is going to disclose something big that happened to his nonprofit Arts Midwest. In my C block, I'm going to talk to you about some bitter realities I discovered last weekend when I was back in Iowa for my 45th high school class uh, reunion. But uh, for my first block here, for my A block, I want to start out by saying that I'm honored. <laughs> that is a mild uh, phrase for me here about how I feel. I am honored to be speaking to you on Juneteenth. I am. The first time that the federal government has ever recognized this date today as an official government holiday. By now, I'm sure most of you understand that Juneteenth, the 19th of June, commemorates June 19, 1865, when federal troops entered Galveston, Texas, to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation that had, fray, that had freed enslaved humans in America. Even though President Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, Texas had refused to abide by it. And by the end of the Civil War in April 1865, 400,000 enslaved humans lived in Texas. Federal troops uh, then marched on Texas and freed those enslaved humans. So we have the end of the Civil War in April, but Texas isn't doing anything. And Texas is not allowing um, black people to be free. And so federal troops had to go down there. And they marched on, when they marched on Galveston, you know, the federal you know, general or whatever proclaimed that everybody, all freed slave, all enslaved humans were, were free, that they were to, entitled to wages for their work. And as a result, Juneteenth represents the actual end of slavery in America. The fact that all of America now knows about Juneteenth and that it's finally a federal holiday is due largely to the efforts of a single woman, a single idealist. Her name is Opal Lee. She is now a 94-year-old black woman who was honored by President Biden this week when he signed the bill making Juneteenth a federal holiday. In fact, President Joe did something extraordinary. He got down on one knee to greet Opal Lee. I don't know if I've ever heard of a United States president doing anything any such thing ever as a sign of respect 
for another human. The story about Opal Lee is that she was born in Marshall, Texas in 1927. Twelve years later, on Juneteenth, 1939, uh, nine, you know, Juneteenth, so on the actual Juneteenth uh, date of June 19, 1939, Opal Lee and her family, she was 12 years old at the time, she and her family were living in Fort Worth, Texas, in a predominantly white neighborhood. It was on that day, Juneteenth, 1939, that a mob of white supremacists gathered outside Miss Lee's home and then proceeded to vandalize the home and set fire to it. The home was burned to the ground. And not surprisingly, not a single arrest was ever made over that incident. Given this, one can imagine how Juneteenth took an even added significance for Opal Lee in her life. Miss Lee later became a teacher and activist, focusing on educating more people about the significance of Juneteenth. For years, her focus was to get Fort Worth to celebrate Juneteenth. She helped organize um, a three, a three-day festivals around Juneteenth in Fort Worth, and she worked uh, to get Texas schools to teach about Juneteenth. In fact, she even authored a children's book titled Juneteenth, A Child's Story, which is, as I speak, presently available on Amazon. Now, wouldn't that be a really great gift for a, you know, a young child? You can sit there and read with the child about Juneteenth. So Opal Lee, uh, author of Juneteenth, A Child's Story. In 2016, Opal Lee decided uh, that she would turn her attention uh, to making Juneteenth a national holiday. And so she pledged to walk 1,400 miles to bring attention to that goal, making Juneteenth a federal holiday. The 1,400 miles was the distance from Fort Worth to Washington, D.C. Um, she did not walk that total 1,400 miles. She was 89 years old after all. But you know what she did do? She actually walked 300 real miles, an 89-year-old walking 300 real miles to bring attention to the fact that Juneteenth needed to be a federal holiday. By then, she had gained enough uh, uh, notoriety and um, national notoriety and supporters that a true Juneteenth movement took hold. After 2016, she set her sights on doing that. Then, after George Floyd's murder last year, the movement gained even more momentum. And many states took the step, including Minnesota, took the step of commemorating Juneteenth. But for Opal Lee, the goal was making the date a federal holiday, something that happened this week. Because we know when it's a federal holiday, it's really a big deal. As for me, I I, luckily, I became aware of Juneteenth about five, six years ago. Um, I did some research. I, I discovered that. I also discovered at about the same time uh, um, information about the Tulsa race riot in 1921. And both of those things, Juneteenth and the Tulsa race riot, were some were things that I incorporated into one of my trainings around allyship for marginalized groups of people. But of course, that's a tremendously sad commentary reflecting that it wasn't until my late 1950s that I became aware of such important dates and milestones 
in American history. I suspect I am absolutely not alone in becoming coming late to this party about understanding these important things about American history. I must also say um, that I now fear recognizing Juneteenth as a federal holiday will ultimately work against progress on other civil rights fronts. I am. I am very afraid of that. I can literally envision conservative lawmakers using Juneteenth as an excuse that they've already done all that's needed to make America more equitable. I can hear it. I just abs- I can hear Mitch McConnell saying, hey, we gave you Juneteenth. Isn't that good enough? In other words, they will throw us a bone and tell us that we should be grateful for that. But as Opal Lee herself said in a June 2020 New York Times interview with Julie Carmel, Juneteenth is just the start of much bigger needed change. Miss Lee said, quote, we have simply got to make people aware that none of us are free until we're all free. And we aren't free yet. There's so many disparities. You know, we need some decent education and some decent jobs that pay money. And we need health care and all kinds of things that if people would just get together and address these disparities, we'd be well on our way to being the greatest country in the world. She then went on to say this. If we would unify, if we would get together and do something about homelessness and do something about people having decent housing and decent food, and they would not only have a place to stay but a decent education, if we could just love one another, you know, if you could just get past the color of my skin and love me like you do that boy next door to you, unquote. Opal Lee, 94 years old, the architect of bringing us Juneteenth as a federal holiday. That, listeners, is a true idealist. And I am thankful for her tireless, hard work. Okay, there you go. Uh, that <laughs> figure out, uh, read up on uh, Opal Lee. Um, we're going to move now to the C Block, or excuse me, to the big interview with Tori Allen from Arts Midwest. You will greatly enjoy him, I guarantee you. Hopefully, um, you enjoy what you hear here. Visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at Elliot Krug. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Something is lost. Something is found. And we're back. LE 2.0 Radio and AM 950. So, um, Opal Lee, go ahead and do a little Wikipedia search about her. I guarantee you it's a fascinating story, as I just related. Okay, we're now into my C block, and I have a fantastic guest here. I have Tori Allen, who's the executive director of Arts uh, Midwest. Um, and also, I might note, a fellow Rotarian for the City of Lakes Rotary Club. Tori, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? 
Ellie, thank you so much. I'm great, and it's great to be with you today. Ah, I'm thrilled that you've, you're, you've joined me. You and I have become new friends since you've joined our club recently. And I yeah. just want to tell you, as soon as we started talking, I was like, oh, we have to have you on my show. So I'm really, really grateful that you're here. Now, you're the executive director of Arts Midwest, which I'm going right. to bet that many of my listeners have never heard of. Okay. And of course, we're going to, of course, you are in the news like right now, your organization is. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But tell us about Arts Midwest. What is it, please? Yeah, sure. You know, I didn't know what Arts Midwest was two years ago myself. Um, So Arts Midwest is one of six United States regional arts organizations. And uh, each one of these, U.S. REOs oversees a multi-state region. Our region covers the states of North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and uh, Illinois, and Wisconsin. And together, the U.S. REOs work closely with the National Endowment for the Arts as our primary partner to help carry out their charter by operating um, their national initiatives. For example, on behalf of the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Midwest currently operates Shakespeare in America, uh, we operate, I believe, uh, the country's largest book club, which is America's Big Read, and a host of other smaller national programs. And we also help them with the distribution of uh, relief funding, this like this last year and this year. Uh, also, each one of us manages a portfolio of relationships with private, national, regional, and um, local donors. And we work closely with each state to support their work and help them coordinate the communications between them. There's more, um, but that's sort of the quick and skeletal. We've been in business for 35 years, and I took the reins uh, in the summer, early summer of 2019. Um, we're headquartered in Minneapolis, and we operate a wide variety of programs. Though we don't really have any specific um, focus areas, official focus areas, we, our work kind of falls into three basic tracks, grant making, training and education, for arts leaders and convening. And um, I'm sort of uh, going into my, about to go into my second second and a, second year here, and we're in sort of transition now. We've um, been traditionally operating with those tracks, but we're going to be migrating into a new space, uh, more focusing more on supporting, informing, and celebrating the arts and cultural and creative sectors across the Midwest. We want to amplify the power of the creative sectors and celebrate all that the Midwest has to offer. And we're going to let the world know that life in the Midwest is second to none. <laughs> well, that comes from somebody who before this was living in Alaska. <laughs> I, I might know. You were in Alaska for what, more than a decade? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah, and then you came from there to Minnesota, right? Do I have that right? That well, was... I, in between, I was in what they call the high mountain country of Southern Oregon in Ashland, Oregon. At the, uh, I was head of philanthropy at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Ah, okay, all right, all right. Well, yep. well, welcome to Minnesota, and you know you've already gone through at least one and a half winters. So welcome, and so Tori, um, I'm getting you know from you that Arts Midwest is kind of the backbone. You know, and the invisible backbone to a certain degree yep. of various arts organizations. I mean, yep. and, and, and we need those kinds of backbones for sure for the arts because yep. a lot of arts organizations, and we're talking, you know, 
are we talking performing arts or only visual arts? Or we're talking arts the across, across the board. Okay. Yeah, and, across and, the board. And many of them, you know, are, they are, they do struggle. And many of them, you know, are pocket art organizations that, you know, that maybe a small city only knows about, or maybe even just a neighborhood in a bigger city knows about, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. We reached out to, uh, we distributed funds to 91 organizations across the Midwest, a uh, little over three, a little over three and a half, under three and a half million dollars in the last year and a half. Thank you for doing that because I'm yep. sure that that money made a heck of a difference for those organizations. Yeah. Now, yeah. let's talk about the fact that Arts Midwest is in the national news uh, t- this week. <laughs> Um, and that came in the form of a grant to Arts Midwest from uh, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' yeah. former wife. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, it's interesting, um, Tori, you know, my show, of course, is about idealism. And, and we're going to get into your idealism in a second here. But sure. um, uh, about uh, three, uh, no, maybe a month, a month and a half ago, you know, I highlight idealists. And in the segment right before this, I highlighted um, uh, Opal Lee, who is was the architect to get Juneteenth made a federal holiday. So a month and a half ago, I highlighted I highlighted Mackenzie Scott because she's quite the idealist. She really is. And, yeah. you know, you wouldn't know that, you know, former Miss, Mrs., uh, you know, Jeff Bezos. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, I mean, she is bound and determined to give away most of her money, and she's bound and determined to do it in a direct fashion, not like set up a foundation and, you know, I mean, she's just writing checks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and she wrote a check. She wrote a check to Arts Midwest. Do I have that right? Yeah, she did. And Ellie, I have, I've been kind of wanted to be discreet until I had a chance to really, we had a board meeting and just talked to all the folks in our big world. But I can tell you and your folks that, um, yeah, she, uh, she gave Arts Midwest $8 million. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I just jumped out of my seat when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, Patrick just jumped out of his seat too, because it went through, yeah. the, through the $8 million. Are you kidding me? No, not at all. And I got to tell you, um, I'm I'm so glad you 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 spotlighted her. Not I haven't met Miss Scott, but she is clearly uh, clearly channeling some of the most sublime grace in existence. Oh yes, I mean, it, yes. It doesn't. It, it's incredible. If if there's godlike energy on this planet, she she is radiating it. Well, you know, I mean, she's also a writer. I mean, you know, so look, there's the arts. Okay, I mean, she's also a writer, you know, but um, yes. So, okay, so eight million dollars is almost triple of what you gave out last year. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are you going to do with that money? Um, Because I hope you're going to I hope you're going to channel some of that into that convening, which I want to talk about. But go ahead. Oh, absolutely. We we're, we're so grateful and we intend to use every penny of it, uh, being the, in, on her blog when she talks about, uh, reflects on making this gesture. She talks, uh, she says, she shares uh, one of her favorite poems from the, the, the poet Rumi. And, uh, so we, we are going to use every penny of this money being the Rumian candle, using the funds to burn, to become light and heat and help folks and to melt. Oh my God. 
You you yeah. just I mean, uh, Tori, you must you and your board and your staff must be on cloud nine point nine, not just cloud nine. Am I about right on that? <laughs> Oh, you're absolutely right. And it comes at a good time because, as I said, we're transitioning into this next phase of our existence. And it's really about showing up even more across communities and communities all across the Midwest. Okay. Well, listen, we've got to take a break, Tori. But when I come back, I want to talk more about Arts Midwest. But I really want to start talking about you, okay? Okay. And, and, you know, and and I want to do, if we can, do some imagining here for America because we need imagining. For our country. Okay? Yes, we do. All right. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, Everyone, we've been talking to uh, Tori Allen, who is the executive director of Arts Midwest, now the recipient of a uh, a, uh, Mackenzie Scott uh, grant. Um, When we come back from our break, we're going to talk more with Tori and uh, learn more about um, the organization and his idealism. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Big idealist. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at lejkrug at gmail because I love hearing from my audience members. We'll be back in a sec. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio and AM 950, your lovely host here, Ellie Krug. I've been speaking with, we took a break, we were talking to, and we're going to continue to talk to, Tori Allen, who is the Executive Director of Arts Midwest. And as you heard in the prior segment, his organization is the recipient of this very surprise grant from Mackenzie Scott of $8 million. Tori, um, before we took the break... Uh, you know, we we had been talking about the work that um, Arts Midwest is doing, and and you know, you've talked about how um, you, you know, the organization is going to pivot and do some more additional work. I mean, I went on your website, and I've got to tell you, and listeners, listen, all you have to do do is Google Arts Midwest. You're going to find their website, or or Tori, give us the website address just so that we're technically correct here. <laughs> Sure, it's artsmidwest.org. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Just Google it. You know, but but I you know, if you go to the page about us, you know, Tori, you know, this um, you know, your your mission, the organization of Arts Midwest is quote to promote creativity, nurtures cultural leadership and engages people in meaningful art experiences, bringing vitality of the Midwest to Midwest communities, enriching people's lives. And then the values of the organization are the things that warm my heart, equity, creativity, the Midwest, learning, integrity. I mean, I love it. I I cannot tell you how much I love it that of all the values, the very first one you list is equity. And, and so Let's talk, okay, about um, your belief, um, and tell me, of course, if I mischaracterize it, your belief that the arts is a way to bridge the horrible divisions and gaps that we have in our country right now. Yes, 
thank you, Riley. I, th- I think the arts uh, are one of the most sublime forces we have to bring people together. You know, I always, uh, I've always been fascinated with the image or the concept or the idea of the Holy Grail. <laughs> and, and, and over the last couple of years, I've been thinking, well, maybe, maybe the Holy Grail isn't a chalice. Maybe it isn't a physical object. Maybe it's a set of spirits like love and togetherness and curiosity. And, 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 and attaining the Holy Grail is just having something happen in your life to awaken this, this, to, yep. to trigger this awareness within this, within us, that we all have this seed of creativity, this acorn of creativity within us. And, um, and when we, when we realize that, when we, when we have that awareness, we then will have the grail. And it is that seed that can grow from the acorn to the oak tree. And, um, uh, that awareness, that, that recognition, um, in ourselves and that other people have that, uh, every, every human being has, has this acorn of creativity within them, within them. We just might be able to make folks lean into curiosity more rather than fear and and welcome and encourage and embrace difference and just imagine how beautiful the world can be if that can happen we can we can bring about that kind of awareness well you know and when you when you say you know creativity it comes in all broad forms right i mean mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, you know, I'm a writer. That would be one form. Then we have you know, our musicians and our, you know, and our our singers and our, you know, our our actors. You know, then we have the people that go to Michael's, where it's their second home, right? You know, and mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. our but our um, creation, you know, creativity is also around, you know, like being a fisher person. They're making their own lures, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, or somebody who is a hiker and they're taking in the beauty. Uh, I just went on a bike ride today through the uh, Carver County uh, Nature Preserve and the wildflowers were stunning. Okay. And it just made me feel so good because that was, that's nature's creativity showing up, right? And us taking in, in all of that. Um, Absolutely. It's omnipresent. It's here. It's, it's, and I think that may be sort of the issue is that it's, we're so close to it that we don't even realize that we are creativity. The fact that we are, as living human beings, we are a manifestation of creativity. And so I love artists. I consider myself a performing artist. But what, one of the things that makes me the most sad is when people who don't own that title don't think of themselves as creatives. Artists don't have a monopoly on creativity. Everyone is creative. And I just feel that if we could help people understand that, um, just that alone is going to make the world a better place. Well, and I'm also thinking about the performing arts or the visual arts, because um, a lot of that is storytelling. And as a society... We learn through stories. I mean, you know, yes, you can put up the PowerPoint, okay? But, but what sticks with us are the stories that humans tell. You know, I told the audience a couple of weeks ago that I did a training, um, for an, a large international organization and, and luckily I, I'm, I'm able to give people a safe space to be vulnerable. I don't know how I do it, but it happens time and again. And a man told this story about having struggled with depression and and literally was on on the on the eve of taking his life when he called his best friend and said i'm 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 going to end it 
And the best friend said, what the heck are you talking about? I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. And, and he said, that's what he needed to hear. I will never forget yeah. that story, Tori. I will never forget yeah. that man and the story. So the arts gives us that. And those things allow us to bridge. Don't, don't you think they help us to bridge these horrible gaps that we have between us? Absolutely, because I, I, I think the, the, uh, the, the gaps are unnatural. I think that bridging is part of nature. Um, just as just as a plant or a flowers sprout and grow, I think the bridging is 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 a part of uh, the natural tendency to come together, and uh, that's why I love being behind this specific engine to bring folks together. The arts, well, but it can happen yeah. through other things. I think we just have to be aware that creativity can come from your your accountant and can come from your gas station attendant. It can come. Um, it can come from your dog. I mean, you know, it could be it come from gardening. It can come from so many different places. It's it's you know, it's ubiquitous. It's omnipresent. And if we can sit around a table and form our bonds through creativity, then we can stop seeing each other as other, right? And we can start oh. seeing each other as humans. Absolutely. I, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm, I get glimmers of that future, and it's just so brilliant, so radiant, and we we can move beyond the limitations of language, and the sort of limited concepting that we can do as people, um, you know, and the the programming that we get. Uh, just imagine if we can go beyond social constructs and just appreciate the essence of the spirit of people that we encounter all the time. And we're just more and more curious. We just want to meet people. Every time we see people, we don't see a stranger. We see part of ourselves. We see another manifestation of creativity. Um, that's what gets me excited. There's a, there's a, I recently heard a podcast by a woman, um, Valerie Coor, and she's starting a movement called Re Re Revolutionary Love. And I don't know that much about it, but I was just immediately attracted to it. And there are three tenets. It's loving your opponents, loving yourself, and loving others. And just she wants to just infect the world mm. with the spirit. And when I listened to her, Ellie, I thought of you and I thought of our conversation. I thought they must have the same genes because <laughs> she's speaking Ellie's language. She's speaking oh. Ellie's language. And all three of us have to get together sometime in the, in the future. I was like, maybe we can have a big gathering and call it Revo the Revolutionary Love Gathering. That would I would love that. I would love that. I, I, I would, Tori. Now, Tori, I'm going to go out on a ledge, okay? And I'm just yeah. – and I'm, I'm going to – just disclose to the audience that you are a black man. You identify as black. Yes. Do I have that right? Yes. And the yes. reason I, I wanted to do that, okay, is that because when you and I spoke, you said something to me that was so profound that I wrote it down. And I'm going to share it with the audience with your permission. Um, you told me, quote, I want to go into communities where people are curious about me and not afraid of me, unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that, yeah. please. Well, I know what it's like to go into places and have people prejudge and respond to you a certain way based on how they've been programmed based on social constructs. And I know what it's like to, to engage with them and to see those and to see them have breakthroughs and to release themselves or free themselves from that programming and those social constructs. And I know how rewarding that is. Just the other day, I was listening to an interview with a fellow who was a, 
who who made a point of going around African American going around having these kind of encounters with clans people and yep. um, engaging with them and he and how rewarding it was to see them uh, re- free themselves from that limitation and so um, I I just want to do everything I can to, to show up so that people in communities are more when they see me when they encounter me they're curious and not afraid. Oh, Tori, you and I, we do speak the same language and we do have the same hopes. Can I ask finally, what, what made you such an idealist? It's not a given. You know, I, I think it's maybe just be the time I grew up. I, I, I grew up when, when I was a kid, I'd heard those speeches of Martin Luther King, you know, I have a dream. Um, and I believed it. <laughs> that, that little, White kids and little black kids can hold hands. Yeah. And in the early 70s, there were these songs by the Beatles, Imagine, yeah. and The Love Train by the OJs. And I, I believed all of that stuff, and I still believe it. And I had a mom who was very, very much into unconditional love. And so I, I, I bought the, I bought, I drank the Kool-Aid, and it's in my soul. I believe it. I, I'm, I want to pursue that dream. I have a dream, too. I have a dream, too. And that dream is that by awakening creativity, we can achieve Martin Luther King's dream. Um, uh, but I, and I hold fast to that dream. Wow. Wow. You know, and I, I told you, I, I also heard Dr. King. I got to see him in real time, in real life, and, and Bobby Kennedy. And, and we, we need those heroes back. We need heroes like them again. But if your organization can show up in our communities, like in small town Midwestern communities, or you can fund the, the creative agents who will show up in those small town communities, um, let's do it. And let's do it on a large, big scale and do it in an intentional way so that, so that there's no mistaking we are going to bring people together. Yes, let's bring love and creativity into these communities and let's unite them. Let's, let's unite them. And let's model this for the world. Oh, Tori, um, I have so enjoyed talking to you and I, my friend, when we did our, you know, spoke earlier um, in May, I did not want that phone call to end, okay? Because we just... I am so thrilled that you came into my life. And so thank you. And you know I'm here, okay? I'm here to help your your organization in whatever way I can. Um, and just keep going out and doing the work that you're doing. And I am so thrilled you got a big infusion of cash to help you do that. Congratulations. Well, well thank you, Ellie. And I will take you up on that offer. I want to be... We, we have one life to live, and let's make it meaningful. Let's melt. Let's melt that candle. Oh, my God. Okay. Thank you, Tori. All right, um, listeners, we've been speaking with Tori Allen, the Executive Director of Arts Midwest. 
Um, check them out at artsmidwest.org or just Google Arts Midwest and um, find out about them and learn about what they're doing because it's incredibly important. And in addition to that, support your local arts organizations. They need your support. They need you to show up and say, hey, we love what you do. Okay, when we take our break, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, I'm going to do my C block. I'm going to talk to you about an experience, several experiences I had last week at my 45th class reunion. We'll be back in a second. And we're back. Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Um, Tori Allen, I could have talked to him for six hours, okay? Um, and and I, I hope that you heard, because I certainly heard it through my uh, headphones, the emotion in his voice as he talked about his hope about how creativity can be the vehicle to get past our divisions. I There are days when I do this show and it is kind of a trudge. And then there are other days that I am pinching myself that I get to meet people like Tori Allen and share him, share those people with you. So I hope you enjoyed that. We're in my C block and I want to talk about uh, my trip to Iowa last week. The David Edgerton uh, Jr. St- uh, stepped in for me. But I was gone. I was down in Iowa in Cedar Rapids for my 45th high school class reunion. And there are a couple of things about that trip that I wanted to uh, share with you. First, I got off the interstate about uh, 25 miles outside of Cedar Rapids and drove through the countryside. I actually was going to meet my best friend in the whole wide world, um, uh, a guy named uh, Thap, um, at the Amana Colonies to have a, have a big lunch there. Um, and but So I'm, I'm driving on two-lane roadways through Iowa, and I ended up going through Vinton, Iowa. Now, Vinton is a small town, probably no more than 8,000 people, I would guess. Um, and let me just tell you, it was thriving. There was not a single, I mean, it's a downtown with probably, with maybe three streetlights and maybe six or seven, eight city blocks, if even that big. But every storefront was occupied. There were flags throughout the, the downtown. There was certainly a gun store at the middle of downtown. There, I've never, I had, I had been to Vinton on other occasions back when I used to live in Iowa. I actually um, tried a case in Vinton. When, and back in the late 90s and early 2000s, Vinton was a ghost town. It was amazing to me at how transformed it was. And then I remembered it was the subsidy money that Trump provided to farmers. Remember, the tariffs were taking money away from them. And he made sure that they, you know, they got subsidies. Oh, uh, that's socialism, but let's not talk about that. Um, And it was clear that that had trickled down into the community. So that's something for all Democrats to understand um, as you go forward. The other thing was uh, I was at 
literally at the class reunion and met a number of my old classmates, many of whom had stayed in Cedar Rapids and many of whom um, were at the tail ends of their careers. And at the tail ends, they were working 10 and 12 and $15 hour jobs. In fact, um, I had met a classmate that she and her husband last month had both lost their job on the same day. They worked for the same company. And she was earning a good five, you know, mid five figure salary. She told me that was the most money that she had ever earned. And, um, and now she's bartending. And it, it, it just struck me about how, first of all, how lucky I was to be able to, you know, go to college, be able to go to law school, be able to develop a, you know, career as a lawyer. Um, and yes, I did go back to Cedar Rapids, but I lived a very privileged life when I was back in Cedar Rapids um, as a lawyer. My classmates, many of them, got unlucky. You know, I got lucky as a kid, and there were there were I engaged in many of the same activities that these people engaged in, but they got caught, and I didn't. And so, for example, several of them, you know, got pregnant or got somebody pregnant you know, at the tail end of high school or, you know, the year or two right after high school. And that made all, I mean, that just changed the dynamics of their entire lives. Uh, You know, me, you know, um, I had a girlfriend, um, but always lucky um, in that regard. But again, but for one mistake, one, but for my luck not holding out, the trajectory of my life would have been completely different as well. But most of all, it seemed that people literally were struggling. It did. And and it was not lost on me how it does seem that we have forgotten them. It was not lost on me about the desperation that they, they didn't vocalize it whatsoever. But you could see it in the faces of some of my classmates. You could certainly see the disappointment that 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 this was not the way that they wanted to go out in terms of retirement. And it hurt my heart to see that. It also scares me because... This is the way America is right now with many people who never were able to get ahead or they started to get ahead and then they fell back many times through no fault of their own. Be aware of this. Even with President Joe, we've got this stuff going on and we have to fix it. Okay, that's the end of my show. I want to do a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who does a great job and always having to do math for me. Thank you, Patrick. And to you, my listeners, thanks for tuning in every Saturday and Sunday. I am so grateful. Let others know about this show. Sign up for my newsletter. I'd love to have you on my newsletter. Just go to elliekrug.com. You'll see the newsletter um, you know, link, uh, and you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, otherwise, will you do me this favor? Between now and next week, will you go out 
and do something to make the world better. Will you do that, please? Take care. Be well. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.